Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Kelly Green Hour this morning. We are getting ready to review the New York Giants game and talk about a big matchup against the Cleveland Browns this weekend. As you may notice, it is not LJ with you right now. It is Connor. My co-host LJ cannot be with us today due to work commitments, but I have lined up an awesome guest for us today. He is a host of Real Time with Prince Blue on Last Out Media. And he is a, with ton of respect for this, retired police officer and Army veteran. And I'm so pumped to have him on and talking Eagles today. And how are you doing today, Prince? Hey, Connor, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate this a lot, man. Dad, I figured, you know, I was like, I can't do this alone. It's hard to record a show all by myself. So I got to get me, I got to line up a guest and I got to line up a passionate guest who who can who can talk Eagles with me and who we can really really go at uh, some of this stuff with the Giants lost the the lash of negative media attention that I know you really want to get into for Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz so let let's just I'll give you a minute to plug your show and to let us know what your show is all about and then we'll get right into it. Oh man, well uh, thank you. Uh, well, real time with Prince Blue, man, it's just just about a hashtag it's about real media man it's about it's about new media it's about getting rid of the old media where you know it's just lazy takes hot takes and narratives that um that pollute the fan base i just wanted to get on and talk about what i wanted to talk about and be dumb um it's just pure energy it's it's for the fans it's by a fan and it's from my unique perspective is genuine um last out media network is great my team they allow me to say what i want to say well i'm going to say what i want to say regardless but they allow me like they let me not hold any punches they don't apologize for me and they give me a platform to do what i do and that's pretty much with what real time prince real time with prince blue is about man it's about it's about uh being passionate about philly sports and social issues as well I love it. I love it because one thing we know about Philadelphia social media, they don't hold punches. They're not. They're unapologetic, but they also just like to get the clicks and just like to get the attention. So they're not always dropping, you know, the best of content. I find it's just clickbait, and and that's definitely not what we're looking to do here with Kelly Greenhour either. We're looking to give good quality content and talk about what matters to Philly sports fans, and that right now is this loss to the Giants last week. So let's get right into it and let's talk about this loss to the Giants. This was a big game. This was an important game, a must-win game because the division, as we know, is very much up for grabs despite our 3-5-1 and one record. We lead the division. Um, the game already started out with a bit of a negative when Daniel Jones ran that ball in. This time he did not get eaten up by the turf monster. He actually made it into the end zone against us this time around. And uh, from there... I mean, I guess it, it, it never really looked right for Philadelphia. I mean, one of the most positive things is the pressure we were able to get on Daniel Jones, which obviously we knew would happen because the Giants offensive line is trash. And no turnovers by Carson Wentz, although he did have two fumbles, he didn't lose them. It was nice to see Carson Wentz make smart decisions. But again, it is the New York Giants, and they are probably the worst team in our division right now. So it is a really tough pill to swallow in this game what were your thoughts on the game what, what what was something that stood out to you on the offensive and defensive side of the ball boring 
on both sides of the ball. Uh, what were we told all week, Connor? We were told if Carson Wentz doesn't turn over the ball, if he plays clean football, we will win the game easily, right? Well, yeah, oh, exactly. He did, he did that, and the game was very boring. He was careful. He was skittish, and the game was the game plan was vanilla. There was no pop plays. There was no gotcha plays. The Giants had all the gotcha plays, and I find that hard to believe that a Jason Garrett offense cut up a, a Jim Schwartz defense and a a Doug Peterson offense couldn't cut up a Giants defense. It was just an awful, boring, painful game. It was the game of a thousand cuts. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more on that on that front. It was definitely a boring game. It was a frustrating game from a Philly standpoint, because that's what we were told. But I mean, does this does do you think that this falls on Carson Wentz or do you think that this also falls on on Doug Peterson and his inability to really unlock Carson Wentz, I guess, is the, is the word I'm going to use, because it feels like his play calling is so boring and it translates into Carson Wentz's game. Or do you think that this is on Carson Wentz? Do you think he's not making the right decisions and that's what's causing these the play calling to look as bad as it's looking? Um, honestly, you know, everybody wants to blame somebody, right? This is this is what we do in Philadelphia. Somebody has to take the blame, right? So I'm honestly I'm gonna do the cop out answer and it's both. It's Doug because he knows what Carson does well. He just refuses to do it for some reason. And Carson, because if Carson would would play better, then I believe that Doug would take more risk with Carson. But because um, Carson's been a turnover machine, it's like you got to find a way to dial this guy down and get him going first and play second. And you can't, you can't coach scared in the NFL. And I think right now it's just – Doug and Carson are just out of sync and it's showing on the football field. Definitely. I mean, I think they've been out of sync all season and I think that that's been extremely frustrating to watch, especially because we thought like we got a go- a steal of a deal with the Carson Wentz contract. And right now it's looking like Carson Wentz kind of kind of duped us and he he got the steal of a deal. Um, and, and then the Jalen Hurts draft pick, it made you one feel like the was is the confidence level there with Carson Wentz. Why are we drafting a quarterback with the highest pick that we had in the draft or one of our highest picks in the draft? Like it was it was really a, a, extremely frustrating. And now we're starting to see all the elements starting to seemingly click as to why we drafted Jalen Hurts maybe as to you know maybe maybe why people think Peterson's on the hot seat and stuff but I mean one positive that we can take from this game and I know that that you called it boring and it absolutely was boring but what about that defensive line what about this guy Brandon Graham who is having like a midlife resurgence right now what are your thoughts on this defensive line because I mean I just saw a tweet earlier today, and we will get into the Browns later, but the Eagles had the best pass rush, according to PFF, last week, and the Browns had the best offensive line, according to PFF, last week. So we're about to witness a potential clash of the Titans this weekend. But to be the best defensive line after everything we've been going through this season, is that not something to be proud of and to take some pride in? Is this defensive line that we have starting to come into its own? Now, this is where I become a Debbie down there, Connor, because I get it. Numbers are numbers, but honestly, when you look at this defense, 
what is it really? I mean, it's Brandon Graham and then it's sometimes Fletcher, maybe. Like, I get the numbers are the numbers, but nobody's fearing his defense. When Jim Johnson was here, they feared this defense. Nobody's fearing this defense. It's an easy five to ten yards per catch. If the defensive line isn't getting there, you know we're in trouble the next two levels except for uh, Slay. Everywhere else, it's just a question mark. But, yes, the defensive line has been getting at it more. It's probably been the more consistent unit. But when they need to get a stop, they have not been. And it shows three, five, and one. How many offenses have been carving us up? We're giving up, I believe, close to um, 26, 27-something points like that a game. Yeah, we're not going to win like that. But um, Brandon Graham is definitely – he's my MVP of the whole team, to be honest. It's him – it's between him and the punter. (laughs) So, Brandon Graham is – He's definitely he's made us forget about Earl Thomas. I, I, it's it's amazing what that guy has done in the second half of his career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is truly impressive what he's been doing. And yeah, Cam Johnston's been been one hell of a punter. He he's the only reason that sometimes we get how we put our defense in such a prime position to you know have about ninety yards of field behind them to work with, and somehow we still give up. 60 70 80 all 90 yards to the to the other team in field goals and in touchdowns I mean I get that that's equally frustrating like the offense is not giving them a good spot to start the defense is not stopping anyone it seems like nothing's clicking some people are starting to talk about the special teams and how they used to be special and they haven't been doing anything special to the to uh to play the pun on special teams in the name so it's been really frustrating and i mean one thing that a lot of people are throwing some shade at uh for the giants game was the fact that that you know doug kind of abandoned the run miles sanders finished with a line of 15 carries for 85 yards boston scott three carries for 63 yards they were carving up that defense and it felt like he began to abandon the run way too soon um what what are your thoughts on that because you got boston scott's at his best against the new york giants and only seemingly the new york giants and miles sanders is at his best almost all the time like i get like he'll take 15 carries in a game and there'll be one chunk play that stands out that gives him 70 yards or 60 yards but really is that not a sign that you should give sanders the ball let him run 20 25 times a game not 15 times a game 10 to 15 times a game Connor, this is where Doug Peterson pisses me off and people along the Andy Reid tree. There's something wrong with the run, that they, they're not patient. Yes, you, you get Miles Sanders that type of back where he's going to get three, four, three, then it's 40, three, four, three, then it's 20, three, four, three, then it's 15, 20. But the key to a running game is if you're gashing them, you got to keep going. Because it's harder to defend the run because you're exhausting more energy. You have to tackle. You have to run around. You have to gang tackle. And guys get tired and holes open up. Doug does not stay with the run enough. And when you got a shifty back like Miles Sanders, when you get when the defense is getting tired, that's when he can get them at the most because then they're, they're arm tackled. They're, not, they're breaking down fundamentally. Doug really – this is why um, – Doug needs a strong voice in his ear to um, 
lean on that run game a little bit. There's no reason. It's like Miles Sanders has a pitch count that he's not telling the rest of us. It's like once he gets to 15 carries, it's over for him. Yeah, and I mean, this it could be really interesting. This is a great segue into the conversation we're about to have about the negative media attention around Doug Peterson, because we could talk about this Giants game all we want, but it's like you said, it's boring. We don't want to keep talking about this. But this week, Press Taylor and uh, Moorhead will not be there because of their close contact with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who, as you know, has COVID-19. Could this be the moment Deuce Staley needs to be that voice in the ear of Peterson against the Cleveland Browns team who will also be without Miles Garrett to say stick to the run game have let you you talk about having more people talking to him but there's rumors going around that Doug Peterson's got too many people in his ear and that's why he his play calling is so off could this be the moment we've been waiting for where Deuce Staley and him are one and two on the sideline the only two main people on the offense as far as coaches go where where we could see Deuce Staley start to come into his own and be the one that sh- we should be listening to all along, like people screamed for all offseason when they wouldn't name an offensive quarter coordinator. They only named a passing game and a running game coordinator. I mean, we could, but let's be honest. If they care so much about Deuce, why do they keep skipping over him when it comes to being an offensive coordinator? So it's obviously something in Deuce's concepts or his vision that Lurie and them don't want when it comes to coaching this offense. Let's let's call it like that's like if you're up for a job, Connor, and we keep skipping over you. I mean, and then it's your time to do the job. Why should we have any confidence if we done skipped over you four or five times? You see what oh, I'm saying? I, I can, okay, I so, completely agree. Yeah, he may he may be an ear like, hey, Doug, run, run, hey, let's run here, let's run here, let's run here. But is Doug listening? Is Doug, is is Deuce a strong enough voice too? Um, Doug, I mean, Deuce is not called plays. Wright called plays. So that's why if Wright says, "Hey, no, not here," Doug would be like, "Yeah, you're right." If Deuce says, "Hey, no, right here," he'll be like, "Deuce, I've done this before. I've seen this before. Let let me call this." And what is Deuce going to say? What is he going to argue with him? You only get twenty to thirty-five. Uh, seconds to call in a play so it may work and knowing philadelphia kind of i'm telling you the eagles gonna go out here and put up a 40 burger and then it's gonna be a controversy duke duke's duke should be the oc shoot he should be the head coach look at that i'm telling you it's just it's the, it's written in the cards that's just how philly rolls we love controversy baby that's it we definitely, we definitely do. We, I think, we love controversy more than the idea and the concept of actually winning <laughs> games, which is crazy because people are just, just foaming at the mouth at the whole idea of what's going on in the media right now. So let's talk about that. What's going on in the media right now? Philadelphia media, national media, it don't matter who you're talking about. The Eagles are getting, well, two specific Eagles are getting thrashed, and that's Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. And we already kind of addressed the Doug Peterson thing. Too many, apparently it's a quote-unquote too many voices. Um, Is there too many voices because there isn't an offensive coordinator? Should we get an offensive coordinator? Is that the issue with the play calling? Because I said it on Twitter earlier in the week. 
I think someone had a post, a, a poll up, and they said, should Doug Peterson be on the hot seat? I said, absolutely not. I think Doug Peterson is a coach, a culture builder, and a guy who can get people to buy in, but he is not a play caller. What is your opinion on this? You, you Now, you know, Connor, I'm a I'm a Doug Peterson guy like that. You you see me on Twitter like I do not play when it comes to Doug Peterson. I think he's a play caller, but I don't think he should be. I don't think he should have carte blanche, if that makes sense. I think he should have a strong voice like a right next to him, like an Eric Bieniemy next to him. And he could call plays. I don't think he he doesn't do enough to have a passing game coordinator he's not there as a play caller he needs an oc um remember doug is still young in his in his uh play calling career he only called in kansas city and i think he only called for like a handful of games or something like that so he's still young i think they made a mistake not replacing reich with another offensive coordinator guy i mean you could very well say that the eagles are victims of their own success because it happened you know, naturally, you're going to be like, well, we did it this way. You know, let's do it again. And I think that's what that's where they messed up at. But I do believe he's a play caller, but I don't think he should have carte blanche the way he does, because this is what you get. He's he's over his head. He's not the CEO that for all Andy Reid's flaws, Andy Reid was more of a CEO. He can handle the day to day stuff and call it call a game. Doug can't do that. He needs he needs delegates. Exactly. And I think the idea of a passing game coordinator and a running game coordinator is just too much. Of course, you're going to start to have too many voices. You need a passing game coordinator and a running game coordinator who report to your offensive coordinator who then come to you, Doug Peterson, and and make the decisions. Because at the end of the day, you can have these two guys feeding into this one guy and then it's you and this guy. This offensive coordinator, whoever it may be, going one-on-one, having the discussions you need to have, making the decisions you need to make. And it feels like that might be why there's too many voices because you got the offensive line co- coordinator. You got the you got the the passing game coordinator. You got the running game coordinator. You got all these voices who are coming at you saying, this isn't working. That's not working. And, of course, that's going to completely shift the landscape of, of how he's calling a game because he's got all these voices. And he's like, oh, you're right. That didn't work. And then on the next play, so. That could be the passing game coordinator who said, this isn't working. You change your, you shift your plays, you shift your concepts for a couple games. It's not working. Deuce says something. It's not working. And then you're trying to do all this changing on the fly, and it's completely ruining the whole game and your ability to call a proper, clean game. And we haven't seen a good game called by Doug Peterson as a play caller yet, in my personal opinion, since Frank Reich was around. Um, I'm trying to think. Last year... During when we was playing, when they was playing with Foot Locker wide receivers, I think that was probably Doug's best coaching as a play caller. I will say that because he had to get creative with those guys on that field. That's when him and Carson were in sync with with those last four games where they had to win with that dreck at offense. That's when you saw, that's why we got drunk with the whole idea of, Man, if we get some guys back, some real wide receivers, and Doug and Carson is clicking like this, but with real offensive talent, there's no reason the Eagles shouldn't be a powerhouse. But 
you're seeing what happens now is they're not in sync. They have better talent, and it's not working because they don't have an offensive coordinator. And you don't have anything to put it all together to marry Carson Wentz and Doug together. No go-between. And that's where it's messing up at. You, Doug needs an offensive coordinator. I'm sorry. I love Doug, but he no. He just, no. He needs an OC. And if I was Lori and I'm Howie, I'm like, dude, either you're going to give up the play calling or you're going to get an OC and still get play calling. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think even if you have that OC in your ear, it's easier to have that one guy rather than three or four guys trying to get you to make the plays. Everything filters through that OC, and it's on the OC to worry about filtering out the voices versus Doug Peterson filtering out the voices and, and like you said, being the CEO of the team and running the team. Um, but yeah, the, the fact of the matter is like, yeah, if, if we can't do something with skilled players and we need to have these like these footlocker guys, like you said, these practice squad guys, like that, that's not good. I mean, that saves us money in the long haul. But if that's really the concept we have to go with with Doug Peterson, that's not good. That that's not at the end. It's not good because we need you to be able to do if if say you're doing that with the, these practice squad guys. Imagine if you have these stud guys, these strong players we drafted, we put weapons around uh Carson Wentz this year and people are getting healthy you should be doing even more with those people yes. and that's yes. the point and what we're not seeing is that he's not doing more with more weaponry which is a major concern for for us as Eagles fans and just in general because if we're heading towards trying to win this NFC East and you can't do more with more you can only do more with less Connor. That's Alshon concerning. Jeffrey came back. Alshon Jeffrey came back, and it was like it was foreign. Like I, I just can't believe that uh, Alshon Jeffrey comes back in an Andy Reid offense or a um a Rams offense and does well and 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 nothing um and nothing happens. You know what I'm saying? I just can't believe that. I just can't believe that at all. Yeah, no, neither neither can I. I mean, like we always we always talked about it when Alshon came back. Make sure you spread the love and make sure it makes sense. Don't don't just start looking at Alshon Jeffrey ten times a game or twelve times a game. And 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 it felt like he didn't even look at him at all. And and that's just not like we know what Alshon can do. We just don't want him to be the focal point of the offense with right. all these new toys, these young toys, these new toys. Like use all the weapons. Well, be like, I don't want to say this because I, it, it 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 tastes bad in my mouth. But Tom Brady, he the first game with Antonio Brown in the lineup, he had six targets to. Antonio Brown, six targets to Chris Godwin, six targets to Mike Evans, six targets to Rob Gronkowski, and a fairly consistent run game with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. That's called doing more with more, maximizing the more. And that's what we're not seeing from Doug Peterson. And we're seeing Carson Wentz focus on one or two guys every game or it's three like, guys you know every it's game. It's like pulling teeth in this offense. It shouldn't be this hard. You got weapons, use them. I, it's just, that's, again, kind of, you know what? We can talk for like three hours, but it all comes back to guess what, buddy? He needs an offensive coordinator. That's what OCs do. They coordinate the offense. 
they they make a, a skill offensive coordinator be like, hey, uh, we got Alshon back, got a shrimp in the middle, Alshon to eat against him. That's what an offensive coordinator does. And and they filter that to the head coach who could then call a good play. Doug doesn't have that right now. So he's 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 pretty much getting caught watching the game. Like you're supposed to watch the game, but he's getting caught watching the game and he's not calling the right plays. Hundred percent. Then you have this passing game and rushing game coordinator, and and they they look at just the rushing game and just the passing game. You have no one bringing the two together. Well, it would be Doug Peterson bringing the two together, but that comes back to the too many voices thing. But moving on from Doug Peterson, because like you said, we could go on about him forever. We're gonna talk about Carson Wentz now because there was another kind of report that came out about poor, sloppy practice and work habits. What were your thoughts on hearing this? And I mean, he defended it. He he kind of said like, you know what? We're all we're all not perfect. We all make these mistakes. This happens. Um, but at the end of the day, like you got to get it right in the game, kind of thing. He he was kind of dancing around the question, but he was basically saying it's not necessarily wrong, but it's not necessarily fully right because you don't all see what happens in practice. So he doesn't know where these rumors are coming from. So what are your thoughts on on this these these rumors with Carson Wentz? Do you believe them? Is is it worth the overreaction by Philly media to say time to move on? Our quarterback shouldn't have sloppy habits. You know what, Connor? Guess what? At at six and three, we don't care about his practice habits. At three, five, and one, everything is magnified. So you know what? Yes and no. If they were six and three, they want we wouldn't care about Carson Wentz practice habits. But because they're three, five, and one, everything that he does is magnified because it's showing up in the game. Oh, man, he's overthrowing guys. He's missing easy checkdowns. Does he do that in practice? Okay, then why is it incorrected? And then when he says, and then when he says, um, as uh, long as you get it right in the game, so you're telling me, Carson, you can mess up 90% of the time, but if you get it right that 10% of the time, it's good to go, which you're not doing, by the way. So, you know, and then it goes along with that whole thing. The media, that's why they ask the questions like, I get mad at the media when they ask questions, but the reason why they ask some of the most asinine and stupid questions is because for that slither of hope that you give them something. And Carson did right there when he said, long as you get it right in the game, everybody makes mistakes. We know that, Carson, but we're three, five, and one. And once again, I could dice that up as to you're not taking accountability anymore. You're saying that it happens, like you're not putting it on you. You, uh, once again, you're putting yourself above the team. All those rumors come to a head again, and that's where the media comes in. That's why they ask the questions because they get little nuggets like that. And for a three or five, three five and one team, that's what's going to get talked about. Because the damn sure ain't going to get the winning ain't going to get talked about. So that's that's what happens. The crazy thing is. You even if we were six and three, he'd be scrutinized for something. And we're at three, five and one. He's and he's getting like doubly scrutinized. The only person who's really defending him is is Dan Orlovsky, who will probably defend him till the day is a 30, 30 season like Jameis Winston just had. He <laughs> Dan Orlovsky just loves him. He's in love with him. So, I mean, that which is fine. Well, you know, it's well, it's good to have a guy. It's good to have a guy who looks at that and looks on the positive side of things and is willing to not just pick every negative aspect of, of Carson Wentz apart. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, what kind of let's not let's let's not because it sounds like I'm 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 taking up for the meal. Let's let's let let's not make it let's not make a mistake about it. The the Philly media is scummy as shit. They're scummy as hell. I can't stand the majority of them. I only like a few of them. And they're for some reason you got a lot of people in the media that swear they could do better than the people that's actually on the field to get paid to make the decisions. I this Philly media would not. They drool over Bruce Arias. They drool over Andy Reid. They drool over uh, McVay. They drool over um, uh, other coaches of that ilk. But for some reason, when it comes to Doug Peterson, they swear that they could do a better job to him. And I don't know if it's because he comes off as this good old boy, this all shucks guy. He's not real good at the press conference. So they think I'm smarter than him. But guess what, Philly media? You're not. It's the reason why he's a coach and you're doing what you're doing. That's like me coming to your field and saying, I could do a better job than that media guy. And I haven't trained or done any of the necessary stuff or sacrifices to do that. And that's what's wrong with the media today. It's not about the fans anymore. It's not about the story anymore. It's about the media itself and the agenda for like, ESP is not going to say anything off-brand about Carson Wentz. He's going to say what he got to say to make Carson Wentz look bad because that's good for his brand because he's known as a Carson Wentz hater. It's the same thing for Max Kellerman. He's known as a Carson Wentz hater. So that's why they're going to go that route. They're not going to – and that's when the brand usurps the profession – and that's what I have a problem with when it comes to the media. And Carson Wentz, no, these guys are not above criticism, but sometimes it's just over the damn top. Yeah, and I mean, for, for me, you do make a good point there. It feels like you did the media nowadays, national media, Philadelphia media, you can't admit when you're wrong. You prefer you'll take a million victory laps before you take that one day of being wrong about something. And it's all over the place, whether you be on Twitter, whether you be on like the national, like the Philadelphia Inquirer or NBC Sports or ESPN, wherever it may be. Nobody ever wants to admit they're wrong about something and they will find a way to not admit they were wrong, but to say, well, this happened. So it's not that I'm wrong, but this happened. That's right for the situation that made me look bad and you see it like in a max kellerman you see it in a, a skip bayless you see it in steven you see it all the time and and it's okay to admit you're wrong and, and to know that you're wrong and and i think that a lot of media i would have more respect for a lot of media personalities if they did admit they were wrong and said i saw this happen and i'm starting to see that you know what i might have been wrong about this and and you know what i'll i'll be the first to say i'll admit when i'm wrong and i'll i'll go back i need people people will dig up old ass tweets and point out oh look you were wrong here yeah you know what i was i was you know what I happens love it. i love when they do that i love being put in check cuz it adds credibility that's why you know and i you know i'm not tooting my own horn but that's why people enjoy listening to me cuz they like man blue was wrong as hell about that yeah i was wrong Bring it, flamey. I was wrong, cause that that that's human. That's mm -hmm. human. Nobody likes a know-it-all, smug, arrogant bastard. Nobody likes to be around that person. You want to punch that person. So when then when you see these guys on TV and you can't say what you want to say, it really really puts you in a bad place. Cause you're like so built up with frustration. You're like, and the people. 
like, of course, their co-workers are, like, sugarcoating it, and they're not, like, saying, like, Max Kellerman, really, dude? Really? You think Carson Wentz is Jameis Winston? Like, really? Like, they don't do that. They try to be all professional and buddy-buddy. Not me. I'm not in the media, so I can say what the hell I want. So I, I encourage people, you got to start holding these guys accountable, man. That abs- absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, you look, you you brought up Andy Reid, which is a perfect example of it. Andy Reid got scrutinized for everything from the Donovan McNabb era right up to the end when he couldn't end up wrapping up a Super Bowl. And then he went off to Kansas City and the whole Philadelphia media, everybody's praising him. They love Andy Reid all of a sudden. Yeah. Man, you made that guy's life here and you know what he probably lived the life he loved his life and he's fine with it he'll take the media attention he's fine with that's what coaches are paid to do look at mike tomlin these guys take beatings and they come into the presser every single week or a couple times a week and they don't give a they don't give a damn they'll they'll take whatever scrutiny and they'll answer every question the way they want to answer it but andy reed got put down in this media and got absolutely on blast for 10 years over a decade and now he's starting to get the love. I wouldn't accept that love at all. I wouldn't accept that love. I would be like, look, you guys put me down. You guys bash me when this is what I was doing all along. It's just we couldn't get the championship. We couldn't get it done. And it happens. And and Andy Reid was a perfect example of how this media would never admit. You could pull up. You could pull up ESP tweets. You could pull up Angelo tweets where they're probably bashing the hell out of Andy Reid. And they'll look at that and be like, and then you can pull up one side by side where they are praising the hell out of him because he just won the won the uh, won the all elusive Super Bowl, and they'll just they'll be like, well, at the time that's what it was like, and you know, they things change, situations change, but they will never admit I was wrong. I made a incorrect statement or incorrect sentiment about Andy Reid in that situation. It was an They're impulsive doing reaction. They're Is doing it? it now with Doug. Like you see it, like. Remember when Doug was first became the guy? Oh, he stinks. He he he's he's stupid. He doesn't know what he's doing. Didn't he call that last play? Those last plays in Kansas City. Blah blah blah. And you can see some of those guys are still holding on to that because they're every time he does something wrong, they're quick to bounce on him. But when he won that Super Bowl, it was still a couple of them trying to be like, yeah, he won this. But now you see it's. It was all Frank Wright. Like, they, they do not want to move off they were wrong about Doug. Point blank, period. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. You were wrong about him. It's okay. You were wrong about him, but now he's struggling and showing the reasons why you had reservations. It's okay to say that, but they don't even say that. They, be, they just be like, Doug this, Doug that. It was all right. I'm like, um, Wright's not doing – he's not – killing it in Indianapolis. Uh D Filippo's not killing it. He's he's not killing it wherever he's at. So you know, so I don't get it. I really don't I, get I it, agree. Man. Yeah and Doug Peterson if he went out somewhere else and found success he would be praised like no tomorrow and be like, well, we could have done something more for him here. Why didn't we do something more for him? And I love this rant on the media because I, I just got to say, because like we've seen all the negative media attention. And like you said, if we were six and three or, or seven and two or in a situation like the Pittsburgh Steelers, none of this would ever come to the forefront. 
and nobody would ever say anything about it. I mean, there'd be some who still find things in the game and still find flaws. Because like you said, if you're a Carson Wentz hater, you got to find the things to hate and the things to pick at him every single week or else it just wouldn't be in your character. But yeah, definitely. Like you have to come up with your own opinions, formulate your own opinions and not necessarily buy into everything that people are saying. Are the rumors true about too many voices? Are the rumors true about the practice habits? Maybe, potentially. But at the end of the day, look at it. Would you have, would, did we do this last year when we were making that run to the playoffs and made it and in, squeezed into the playoffs by the hair on our chin? No, no one was thinking about that. They were probably talking about how, man, I bet those practice habits are amazing that they're going through right now. I have a feeling those practice habits have not changed a whole lot and they're just being put to the forefront and we're focused on them because of the situation that we're in right now. Same with Doug Peterson. He's probably always had a lot of a lot of voices in his ear, probably a little more now that he doesn't have an offensive coordinator, but it's coming to the forefront now because it seems like it could potentially be an issue. And so, I mean, it's important to formulate your own opinion and watch the games. And remember, the media ain't always right. We're not right. We're not always right. Me and Prince aren't always right. Neither are ESP or Angelo or any of those guys in Philadelphia or Max Kellerman and Stephen A. They're not all right. They're just paid for an opinion. So... I mean, it was good to get to talk about the media because I know you really wanted to talk about it, too, because it's something that bothers a lot of people who like podcast or or who do this stuff in in their free time. And they like to do it and they have opinions. And and it just feels like, man, we look in there like, man, you guys are eating up these people's opinions. You love these guys opinions. You give these guys the time of day and the attention when we can give you the same stuff without the politics, you know? Absolutely. It's just, I get it. Those guys are making millions and millions of dollars and they made it because of who they are and what they're doing. But again, they adopted this persona and now they can't get rid of it. And you got guys like ESP who don't make a fraction or didn't, what they don't realize is Stephen A. Smith was a a award-winning journalist before he was on ESPN. Same thing for um, Skip Bayless. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like they just got on TV and now they're super, super famous. Um, That's why. But you got these young guys coming in here. Oh, I'm a hot take people to death. And I'm like, that's that's not how it works. And you end up and they people like ESP, they think that any uh, any attention is good. So if you hate them and you say vile stuff about them, that's a badge of honor to them. And that's weird to me, but I get it. But again, that's why I do what I do. That's why you see podcasts growing and you see content creators growing and doing different things because they want different stuff. They don't want that old stuff anymore. They don't want that hot take stuff anymore. They want genuine sports talk. And and let's be honest, you got some people that know the game that's breaking down film just as be- just as good, if not better. Than these people that have played the game, like I've seen, like you got, you got, um, I got a whole bunch. I found a whole bunch of people on Twitter that they break down game film, and it's different than what a Baldy may see, what a Mike Robinson may see, what others may see, and I like it a lot. Definitely, no, I completely agree. Especially, film is a lot about like a per like your own personal take and on personally what you see. And sometimes, like some of, some of the media will look too much at something or 
not enough at something else. And you can find that everywhere, man. But as long as we give them attention and give them that love and give them those clicks, they're they're going to be there and they're going to continue to do their job and do their thing. So this was definitely a really a really good discussion about media. And I love it because I think it's all too often ignored and people don't want to make that opinion. They don't want to put that opinion out there, but this is good. I like this back and forth. And now we'll, we'll get back to the, the the point at hand. Let's go back to week 10. We do a piece every single week where we talk about an unheralded player for the week, which is a comeback player or a little known player that, that deserves a little bit more attention, deserves a little bit more love. And, um, so for me this week, I picked Michael Pittman Jr. I loved Michael Pittman Jr. out of Indianapolis, a wide receiver out of the draft, and he struggled with some major and en- some some injuries throughout the uh, throughout this season, and hasn't really gotten an opportunity to play a whole lot. But the last two weeks, he's been looking really good, and he's with Philip Rivers at quarterback. Who and and for me, that's a really good thing. If you're looking good with Philip Rivers throwing you the ball, and you're not a running back, that's a huge positive and I think Michael Pittman's really emerging as a wide receiver one in that offense and and I really liked him and I think he landed in a golden opportunity and it's just kind of sucked with his uh with the injuries that he's endured and been going through but he's starting to come out come into his own which is a really good thing for the Colts coming up in the future um who do you got as an unheralded player if you had a chance to look for one uh, would it be in this game or any game? Any game. You can pick any game. Well, I'm going to stick to our game. Um, <laughs> unheralded player. Again, uh, it, it's, it's supposed to be like bad weather. So it's going to have to be, we're going to have to get Jake Elliott back here. I just think this is going to be a field goal game and we need him. He needs to dig down and get a double order of onions and be ready. Um, that's my one, and if I had to pick a one A like a that I think is really really going to um give us some good play, it's going to be uh it's going to definitely be uh Dallas Goddard. Um, he oh, you got Zach Ertz coming back, and you know we just talked about it for some reason with Doug Peterson, when uh players come back, they're the opposite happens. They don't make an impact on the game. Somebody else in their spot makes the impact on the game. So expect. Uh, Dallas Goddard to be like six catches, like eighty something yards. <laughs> that would be great. It would be it would be nice to see like like the Richard Rogers from last week because I think he went four for sixty or something along those lines. So definitely be nice to see Dallas Goddard do that. So we'll touch on this Browns game real quick as well. Um, what do you think are the keys? You kind of touched on Dallas Goddard. What do you think the keys to the game are on offense and the keys of the game are on defense? One or two real keys that are going to end up getting them the win against the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I personally believe. And I've said this for a few times. I think the Cleveland Browns are one of the worst six and three teams in the league. I honestly don't know how they're there. They just went through a couple of real weather stricken games. And now they're going to have another one against Philadelphia. But they last week, man, they could barely throw the ball. There was thunder. There was lightning. There was there was uh, there was uh, wind. And then the week before against Vegas Raiders, there was wind. There was snow. They've been they've been running the gauntlet with the forecast lately. And um but my personal belief is still that they're not as good as their record shows. And heading into these next three big matchups, which I think are against the Packers, the Saints, 
and the Seahawks, I believe, after this. We need this win. We needed last week, but we need this win more than ever now. And I think it's a good game to get that win. So what are your thoughts on, like, keys to winning this game on offense and keys to winning this game on defense? Keys to winning this game on defense. Baker Mayfield is a shrimp. He's short. So we need to clog up his passing lanes. Get your hands up. Rush. He hates the rush. He hates the rush. You put a couple licks on him, he starts getting skittish. Uh, so I hate to say this, but this is he's going to have to bring some heat, which I know Jim Schwartz hates doing, but he has to come at Baker. He can't let Baker get comfortable. He's a rhythm quarterback, much like ours. You know how normally he plays that off coverage where he gives them five uh, yards of pass uh, and lets them get settled in by just design of his own damn defense. We can't do that. We have to make him get frustrated. Baker Mayfield has to be, if he completes 60% of his passes, the Eagles are going to lose. Simple as that. Uh, key to the offense is we have to absolutely go at the uh, side that Miles Garrett is out on. We have to have to run the football. Make those linebackers suck up and then that's when you can hit the tight ends in those seams. We have to have to stop going out all the time. We we have two world-class tight ends and for some reason we're always looking on the outside. So I think that's the key to the offensive game. And they're going to have to run the ball because if it's weather permitted, they're going to have to run the ball. They can't ask Carson to come out here, throw it 35, 40 times. If he does that, we're going to lose. Absolutely. For for me, like, I am so worried that with Miles Garrett out that that there's going to be more time in the pocket and, and Carson Wentz isn't going to use the time properly. He's just going to make is this going to be an extra two seconds to watch him make a bad decision? That's my biggest fear tomorrow with Miles Garrett out. So for me, I agree with you. The biggest key to the offense is don't abandon that run game. Run that damn football down their throat with Boston Scott, with Miles Sanders, more with Miles Sanders. But when, when Miles Sanders needs to break, you know Boston Scott can do things. If you're seeing holes, if you're seeing something in that defensive line, if you're seeing something in that defense – you have to take advantage of that and you have to go at that hole. Tell Boston Scott, go this way, go that way, whatever you need to do. Miles Sanders is a bit better in the way that he can do what he needs to do. He sees the plays, he sees what's happening in front of him and he can make the plays. Whereas I don't necessarily believe Boston Scott in in, in that sense. Um, and I think it's also... Like on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, pressure, pressure, pressure. Every single week, you just got to create more and more pressure um, around him. And I mean, when you look at the Browns' last opponent, it was against Houston. So I mean, for Houston, I mean that I'm not actually surprised that they ended up having one of the better offensive lines, the Browns, last week against Houston, because Houston's still trying to get on their feet after the firing of of Bill O'Brien. Um, so for me. It's got to be pressure. I don't think that offensive line's as good as it is as it showed last week. I think that this, they're facing a true battle in the our defensive line, and I think if you can clog up the middle with Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave and the defensive tackles, then then the ends can definitely feast and the ends can definitely be in his face all day, every day. And I mean, I, me and El, me and LJ say it every single week. We talk about how. You need to start playing up on as the cornerbacks need to start playing up 
and be playing physical against wide receivers because that's what locks up an extra two or three seconds. Those first five yards are where you can be handsy, where you can have those that that touch in game where the refs aren't going to call stuff. But if you're lining up five to eight yards back like they are right now, you don't have that flexibility. You have to start playing legit defense right from the get-go. And that's what's given the quarterbacks time to make a quick play. It's what's given them three seconds or less to make the play that they have to make. So you have to start playing up and in the face because it's not like their wide receiving core is amazing. You got Jarvis Landry, and then that's a pretty much it. I mean, you have some guys who are emerging, but that's pretty much it. And I think it's going to be important for the linebackers to have another game. Without Nate Gary, these linebackers have been looking good. But, I mean, you got Kareem Hunt, you got Nick Chubb. This this line plus the linebackers have to be working well together and be in sync together, clogging the lanes for sure and making sure that Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb cannot have a day. Because if they can get their run game going, it doesn't matter if we get our run game going or if we get our passing game going, we are going to, we are going to lose. Because that run game is deadly if they can get going. Um, so for you, Prince, what, what's a matchup that you're you're looking at to in in this game? I mean, like you 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 we kind of touched on the keys to the game, but is there a specific matchup that you're looking at that you're excited to watch this weekend? Um, whether it be positionally or player versus player, it's gonna be coach versus coach. I'm I'm looking at these coaches. I really am. I'm looking at Doug and I'm looking at Jim. Like, he, he, you got to come through. I want to see open rushers. I want to see. I want to see some turnovers. I want to see some quick plays. I want to see some gashing plays. I want to see it. Like that's when I know that you coached up something good. It was a good scheme. If I don't see that, then I know that. Um, yeah, it's it, we're just going to be in for a long game. It's going to be a long and tedious game. Yeah, for me, the one I'm looking out for the most is our linebackers, man. I, I think this is a perfect opportunity with Nate Gary out to prove that Nate Gary does not need to be in this defense, does not need to be taking up precious snaps from other linebackers who deserve it a lot more than him. And this is a good matchup to prove it because you got Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku all at the tight end position that needs some covering. Then you got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt coming out of the backfield. This is going to be a big game for these linebackers for an Alex Singleton. TJ Edwards, we already know he's locked in as a starter, but even more to prove if you're getting 80, 75% of the snaps to Nate Gary's 95 this is a chance for TJ Edwards to prove to Jim Schwartz, I deserve that 95, and Jerry deserves a 75% or less. This is a good chance to see what Davian Taylor has. Is Sean Bradley, if Sean Bradley's playing, I mean, I know he's been limited throughout the week, but we need to see what we have in these linebackers. We need to take full full advantage of these linebackers in in what's going to be a very tough matchup for them because if they get past if the running backs get past that defensive line it's on them to make the tackles to chase them down and make the tackles and to look good doing it um and then the coverage on tight ends those are three legit tight ends i love david njoku austin hooper i think is a bit overrated but he's a talented tight end and harrison bryant is a red zone touchdown machine so you have to be prepared to cover those guys and prove your worth to us and I think this is a really good game I don't think you're going to get a better one two running back punch in the remainder of our schedule and a better like one two three punch at the tight end position in our remaining schedule than what you're going to get here and I feel like if Nate Geary was in for this game that we would be seeing 
the tight ends absolutely feast because we know Nate Geary is not very good in coverage. So I'm really excited to see what these linebackers can do and really to prove to Jim Schwartz that when Nate Geary comes back, he deserves to be that sub 50% snap getter. And these guys deserve to be getting that 50% plus of snaps and putting in their work and and showing that you need to put a bit more value on that linebacker position because if they can shut these guys down, it proves that we should invest even just a little bit more in that linebacker position. Um, finally, Prince, predictions. Are we winning this game, and what is your score? I never predict a loss. I always predict a win. Um, I got us 20... I got us 23-17, and I got the Browns with the ball last, and Jim Schwartz got us sweating. Typical. Typical, yeah. They, they don't come down to them inside our 50, working their way in because we're playing the sticks defense, and then it'll come down to, like, mm-hmm. that, that, like, Julio, like that Julio, that Julio Jones, no, Jalen Mills play. We don't start from the 50, Connor. We don't start from the 50. We start from the t- they start from their 10, and it's two quick bang-bang plays, and we're like, uh, here we go. Yeah, it's going to be it'll one feel, of It'll feel exactly like that, and then something <laughs> something in the end zone going after a tight end or something, and hopefully praying somebody makes that big play on the tight end. Um, for me, yeah, I think it's going to be a close game. On paper, these teams are nearly identical. Like, you look at points allowed, you look at points for, you look at yards allowed, you look at yards for, man, they are so close here within, I think, 20, 20 yards and, like, one point, 1.5 points in any direction. So, I mean, they are, this is going to be a really, really close game. The matchups play to a close game. The weather could play to a close game, a real ground and pound game. Um I'm going with a I'm going with a 24 to 20, and I think same thing. I think the Browns are going to have that ball last, and we're going to be looking for a big play from like Brandon strip sack, Brandon Graham, or or Josh Sweat, or someone on the offense on the defensive line because you know that in in the game of forcing turnovers. Philadelphia Eagles are not very good at it unless it's somebody on a defensive line forcing a fumble in that backfield. And Baker Mayfield looks like the perfect victim for a strip sack by Brandon Graham um, this weekend. So I'm kind of hoping that that happens and that we're not sweating it out, that he just holds the ball just a second too long and Brandon Graham gets there when he's trying to pull back and load up. Um, That would be my, my hope. But we do predict both a very close game. It is a close game on paper, and you know what? You talked about it earlier about if we were six and three, we wouldn't be looking at all these things. We are. We have had three or four games come down to one possession. We could easily be that six and three, seven and two team if we would stop playing down to our competition. So we need to play up this week against the Cleveland Browns. We need to play the Cleveland Browns like we played the Baltimore Ravens, like we played the Pittsburgh Steelers. If we came out every single week with the passion and the play that we did those two games, we would be winning games. We would be six and three, seven and two, and we'd have we would already have won this division pretty much. But sadly, we are not there. And we are continuing to talk about losses and continuing to talk about how every Eagles fan is losing about a year off their life with each passing week <laughs> where we lose by a possession or less. And it comes down to, like you're predicting, the other team with the ball and our cornerbacks and safeties playing sticks, not even sticks, they're basically playing at the end zone saying, come at us, we're going to make this tackle. So 
please, it would be nice if you gave us back some of that life that we've been losing this year because we need this win more than ever with three humongous matchups coming up after this week. Um, Prince, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Once again, plug the show. Where can the people find you? Oh, man. Uh, Real time with Prince Blue, uh, X Siri, X uh, Alexa. I'm on everything, Anchor, Spotify, all those um, last out media network.com. You can find me on Twitter at Real Prince Blue. Um, Instagram, same thing at Real Prince Blue. Please uh, thank you for having me, Connor. I really enjoyed this. Go Birds. And please go, Birds. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I need this. I need this, Connor. I need this win, man. I'm sick of it. Believe me, we all need this win because we know these next three weeks after this are going to shave what's left of Eagles fans' lives off of them because they are huge <laughs> matchups. But the worst part is we could lose all three and still be in the driver's seat of the division, which is insane to think about. But thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Kelly Green Hour. You can follow us at Kelly Green Hour on the on twitter you can follow at lj who is not with us today but he will be back next week at lj harrell 54 you can follow me at connor 10 don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you may listen to it leave us any of your thoughts on twitter or in a review uh we want to hear from you guys this is we, we do this for you guys we do this all for you guys and all of our listeners um and make sure to follow at prince blue this this was awesome you got some good content uh i love the follow and and you you have a you have a great personality and and it's it's awesome to hear you trying to bring a fresh take to the media and the podcast world like you are so thank you again prince thank you thank you so thank much you so and much fly eagles fly go birds